0: morning. We'll be in Psalms chapter 86 today. Incline your ear, Lord, and answer me, for I'm afflicted and needy. Protect my soul, for I am godly. You, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I call upon you all the day long. Make the soul of your servant joyful. For you, Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, you are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. Listen, Lord, to my prayer, and give your attention to the sound of my pleading. On the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. There is no one like you among the gods, Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made will come and worship before you, Lord, and they will glorify your name. For you are great and you do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, Lord my God. With all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For your graciousness towards me is great. You have saved my soul from the depths of Sheol. God, arrogant men have risen up against me. A gang of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set you before them. But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious, God, slow to anger, and abundant in mercy and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of good that those who hate me may see it and may be ashamed because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Let's pray. Father, you're good. And we thank you for this text today. And we thank you that you are who you are. Lord, I just pray that uh, as we go into this text, that we can see your truth, we can see your word, and we can uh, be changed from it, Lord. I pray you can just get me out of the way, Lord, and that your word can be shown and be pressed into the hearts of these people. There, Father, amen. So imagine you're in an airplane. Uh, You're going to uh, just to see family, and uh, you get the plane tickets, and you're, you're, uh, you go into the plane, and you're on your phone fixing to watch a movie or something. You know, just what you would do in a typical plane ride. And about an hour goes on, and uh, you're feeling relaxed. And then all of a sudden, you hear this loud boom. And you look to the left of you, and you see an engine bursting on fire. And people are freaking out. People are, are worried. And the flight attendants are coming in saying, everyone, buckle up your seatbelts. Buckle up your seatbelts. And people are just scared at this point. And, uh, but the flight attendants, they, they tell the people, everything's okay. We have a backup engine. Uh, we have a backup engine that's on the right side. Things might be a little bit shaky, but, uh, but we, will, we will land emergent, uh, emergently and everything's going to be fine. So people started to relax a little bit. But, you know, the turbulence, they, uh, it was a little bit more rough. So they, there was just this shakiness every time there was a, there was a hard turbulent. And then uh, all of a sudden, you heard another boom. And the second engine just exploded. And the people were, were uh, crying. They were crippled by the fear of death. Uh, they knew that they were going to die. And the plane d- started to descend faster and faster. And the plane started getting lower and lower. And then all of a sudden, as the plane got lower, somehow they saw Superman. And Superman, uh, they, uh, when they saw Superman, Superman saw them. And because they knew the power and the character of Superman, they were relieved because he would save them. And just like the people on the plane, we find ourselves in a time of darkness. We find ourselves far too often, every corner we go there's something that happens. Whether it could be a family that dies, or uh, it could be a family member that gets sick. Sometimes it could be you're so financially stressed, you just don't know what to do, uh, and, and you just feel like that you don't know how you're going to provide for your next meal. And then sometimes there can be a sin problem. Sometimes we can fall back into the same sin over and over and over again, and we just don't know how to how to deal with it. But when we find ourselves in a time of darkness... We should only go to God, because He is way better than Superman. His character and His power trumps and puts to shame who Superman is. And today we'll talk about three reasons why we should pray to God in a time of darkness. And the first reason why we should go to God in a time of darkness is because He is ready to forgive. See, regardless of our helplessness, God is always ready and never reluctant to give mercy to the ones who call upon His name. And today we see in the text that David is in a time of trouble. He's in a time of affliction. He is needy. We see in verse 1, he says, I Incline your ear, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. So he's afflicted. He's needy. He needs God. In verse 2, he says, Protect my soul. See, meaning his life is on the line. He he needs God. He needs him to protect his soul. In verse 3, he says, Be gracious to me, Lord, for I call upon you all the day long. In some other versions, he He says, I cry to you all day long. He's saying, be gracious to me. In verse 4, he says, make the soul of your servant joyful. Meaning that his soul was downcast. Meaning his soul needs to be joyful in God. And to top it all off, we see some other context. In verse 14, it says, God, arrogant men have risen up against me. And a gang of violent men have sought my life. So we can obviously see that David is in trouble here. Uh, He feels like the world is crashing in on him. He's in danger. Like his life is literally on the line here. He needs to be saved. And just like David, we often find ourselves in a time of darkness. It happens to every one of us. Where the depths of our souls are crushed by the weight of the world. You feel like every turn something's wrong. Uh, You feel like you continuously go back into the same sin you've been struggling with. And as humans, we never want to admit how dark our lives can be. We tend to just push through. We tend to just try to do things on our own. But we have to rely on God. We have to because we are needy just like David here is admitting in the text. And we can see how needy David is in the first four verses. In verse one, it says, "Incline your ear, Lord, for I am afflicted and needy." See, right here, David is expressing that to God that he is in need, that he can't go through this alone. In verse two, he says, "Protect my soul, for I am godly. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you." In other word, in other words, he's saying, "Protect my life because I belong to you." When he's saying "godly," he means he belongs to God. Uh, So he says, protect my life because I belong to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. In verse 3 and verse 4, he says, be gracious to me, Lord, for I call upon you all the day long. Make the soul of your servant joyful. For you, Lord, I lift up my soul. He's saying, Lord, be gracious to me. I need you. I, I, I need you and I cry upon you all the day. So you can see that David is expressing his need to God. And David knows that he doesn't deserve God's mercy, or he knows he doesn't deserve God's grace, but he does know the Lord will give it to us. So when we find ourselves in a time of darkness, we should pray to God, because He is all-sufficient, and we are all needy, just like David is here. And we can trust that God will answer our prayers, even though we are needy, and don't deserve His grace and mercy that He freely gives us, because He's ready to forgive. We see that in verse 5. It says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. See, the Lord is ready to forgive. There's never a time where God is reluctant to forgive us when we call upon His name. There's never a time that He's reluctant to forgive us when we call upon His name. He never clenches His fist, ready to strike us. He never shakes His head and is mad at us when we call upon His name. But no, He wants to embrace us. He wants to, uh, for us to come to Him. Uh, he wants to hug us and be in His arms. The Lord loves the people who call upon Him. He loves them. And the Lord not only loves to forgive the people who call upon His name, but as soon as we do sin and we do need Him... He makes a plan to rescue His children from the trenches of sin. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3. We see the first example of Him doing that when sin first entered the world. As soon as Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, God told them not to, sin entered the world. And see, before that, there was no sin. It was perfectly designed. It was what God designed, and everything was perfect in all creation. And Adam and Eve ruined it. And as soon as they took that small little bite out of that apple, sin plagued the human race. It caused anger, it caused lust, it caused murder, it caused jealousy, it caused theft. It caused everything that you can ever dream of that could possibly be bad, because a human has probably already done it. Sin entered the world. And the thing is, is God hates sin. See, He hates the things that we are slaves to. Because He is opposite of sin. See, He is righteous. He is perfect. He is loving. He is incapable of sinning. And yet we worship the sin. We worship the thing that He hates. Instead of Him just wiping out the human race because we are slaves to the sin we so desperately want and need, He instead forgives them through His Son. As Adam and Eve sinned, God was ready to forgive. He already had a plan to reconcile humanity back to us, or back to Him. Uh, And we see that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel." See, God is talking to the serpent right here. And He says... uh, Kind of focus on this, that he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This right here is the first Messianic prophecy. So God is basically saying that Jesus will come into humanity and Satan will strike the hill of, the, of Jesus by him dying on the cross. Dying a gruesome death. But Jesus will crush the head of the serpent by living a perfect life that Adam could not do. By dying on the cross as a sacrificial lamb and taking on all the sins of the world, past, present, and future sins. From every generation, from the future generation, from the past generation to this current generation, he took it all on. And then he defeated death through his resurrection. See, Satan got a a battle victory against Adam and Eve when sin entered the world. But Jesus won the war. He defeated sin and death, he defeated it all, he crushed the head of Satan, and as soon as the fall happened, God had a plan to forgive his people. He was quick to forgive. That was his first motive is he, he went straight for forgiveness. He never clenched his fists at humanity. He never shook his head, but instead, he was simply ready to forgive. And when we sin, we oftentimes run from God. We go the opposite direction of God because we feel like He's mad at us or we feel like He's impatient with us. But David says this in verse 6 and 7. It says, "'Listen, Lord, to my prayer and give your attention to the sound of my pleading. On the day of my trouble, I will call upon you and you will answer me.'" David knows that God will answer him because he is ready to forgive. Because he is abounding in mercy. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you. There is more mercy in Christ than sin in you. He will answer the pleading that we give when we ask, saying, Lord, I'm in trouble. Lord, I am sinning. I need you. He will answer you because he is quick to forgive. He is ready to forgive. He will comfort you in a time of trouble even though you don't deserve it. And because of God... With His loving kindness, His abundant mercy, His readiness to forgive... ...there is no one or no thing that is like our God. And that leads us to our next reason why we should pray to God in a time of darkness. We should pray to Him in a time of darkness because there is no one like Him. So many times we idolize, uh, our, we idolize the things that we're in trouble with... ...or we go to our idols that, uh, when we are in trouble or we are in sin... Uh, and the world continues to idolize things and that and promise us comfort. Uh, they idolize sex and drugs and money. Uh, and they promise us comfort and joy. And we often fall into the same trap with us thinking that if we go to these idols, we go to the things that can give us circumstantial happiness, that it can give us comfort. And it can give us comfort rather than God. And whenever chaos happens, when we rush to our idols... We start worshiping them like they are gods, like they are our God. We put them over God. We're declaring that they are God. I mean, we think about when depression is so rigid, a lot of people go to drugs and alcohol. When you seem like you have no connection with your wife or husband anymore, you commit adultery. It could be in your heart. It could be physically. When, when money seems so tight... You start worshiping it. You start making it the priority of your life. You put it over anything else. You're not trusting God to provide. And in verse eight, it says, "There is no gods, or there is no one like you among the gods. Lord, nor are there any works like yours." Scripture says there is no one like our God. There is no one who can truly comfort us like God can. Not our idols. Not the things that we love and we love to indulge in, but God. And when we are chasing our idols, we're robbing ourselves of the grace and mercy God God gives us. And that's what true comfort is. It's His grace and mercy that He can forgive us, that He can love us, and that He can have fellowship with us. What a great comfort that He gives us. But we are robbing ourselves of His grace and mercy... When we chase after our idols for comfort. And in verse 9 and 10 it says, All nations whom you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. And they will glorify your name for you are great and you do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. We should know that God is above the other idols because of this verse. When the Lord appears, all nations will worship Him. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it gives us another little light into what into what David's saying. And he says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God our Father. When we see God in His infinite splendor, in His infinite glory, every knee will bow. Every tongue will will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. No one will oppose the fact of who is true and who is the only God of the universe. All the idols, all the gods that we have made will be put to shame at His glory, at His splendor, because He is truly God. There is no idol like our God. So we should pray to Him. We should pray to Him in a time of darkness because there is no one like Him. And because God puts to shame the gods we worship, we should lean on His teaching. We should lean on His understanding. We so oftentimes make ourselves idols. We put ourselves over God. Because it's pleasing to us. We do whatever that's pleasing to us. We justify the sins we commit. But we need God to teach us His way in his truth. Because his truth is better than our truth. We need to walk in his truth. His truth is firm. It's never changing. His words never fade. See, our truth changes all the time according to what we want. That's what the world does. If we if if the world wants an abortion, we say it's woman's rights. It's not a baby. If we want to gossip, we say it's venting. When we want to treat someone unkindly, we say they deserve it. They say that they were unkind to us first. See, our truths conform to what we want. Our truths conform to what we want to do. But God's truth stands firm and it never fades. And we can find God's truth in the Bible. So that's why we should cling to the Word, cling to, cling to God and His truth in His Bible. So, so when David's saying, teach me your ways. We can be taught through His word. Through His truth. Through the Bible. And when he says, unite my heart to fear your name. In verse 11 it says, teach me your way, Lord. And I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. When he says, unite my heart to fear your name. He's meaning to reform our will to God's will. I've heard a pastor say, uh, in every Christian's heart... There's a throne and a cross. And every day you have to decide whether to sit on your throne and let you rule your life to indulge in whatever you want to do or to submit to Jesus. And you take up your cross and die to yourself and let Jesus be on the throne of your heart. You have to reform to His will. See, His will is if you submit to Him, if you were saved, His will for your life... Is to be on the throne of your life. So we have to reform our will to His will. See, so so many times we want to put ourselves on the throne rather than God's. We have to submit our will to His will. When we unite our heart with His name, with the fear of His name. We will outburst with gratitude towards God. In verse 12 and 13 it says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify your name forever, for your graciousness toward me is great. And you have saved my soul from the depths of Sheol. When we stand firm and in His truth and reform ourselves back to His will, we can only see His graciousness and His glory, that He saves us from the depths of death. We only find thankfulness because we are in fellowship with Him. We are part of His will. We are, we are part of what He intended us to do. He created us. And we're doing His will. We're doing His purpose. So we're part of how we were designed to be. So it only becomes in a form of thankfulness and gratitude. We start to see His glory. We start to see His graciousness. We start to see how He truly saves us in everything. See, walking in the truth only results in fellowship with God. There's nothing better than fellowship with God. And when we, when we are in fellowship with God, then we are comforted by Him. There's nothing more comforting than God's fellowship with us. We should pray to God in a time of darkness because He comforts us. That's my third and final point. In verse 14 it says... God, arrogant men have risen up against me, and a gang of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set you before them. So you can obviously see that David is in trouble here. That his his life is on the line, that people are after him. I'm sure what David is feeling is unreal right now. His life is on the line. The anxiousness, the burden upon his shoulders are getting too hard to carry. But yet, even when David is in a time of distress, he reminds himself of who God is. Look at verse 15. It says, "...but you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in mercy and truth. Through God's character, David has hope in a time of darkness." David's literally his life is on line people are after to kill him and he reminds himself of who God is that he's compassionate and gracious he is slow to anger he is abundant in mercy and truth there's nothing more comforting than that even when life is on its hills, it's in its valley, it's the lowest of lows, God will graciously be there for us when we don't deserve it. Because He's God. It's who He is. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abundant in mercy and truth. And the great thing about God is when His children are needy, He comforts them. And we see that all throughout Scripture. In verse 16 and 17, it says, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. See, David is pleading for comfort here. He's pleading for the Lord to look at him. And, and we see in this text, when, when David's saying this, it is okay to pray to God when we're needing Him. To say, Lord, look at me. Lord, help me. Lord, comfort me. See, the, the book of Psalms are models of prayers and, and songs and, and how to worship the Lord. When Nathan uh, did his pastoral prayer, he prayed Psalm 86. Because it's the model prayer. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, and part of verse 4, it says, Blessed be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. He is the God of comfort. He is the God who comforts us in all of our afflictions. See, every Sunday, we do this uh, thing, our call to worship. And most of us probably know it memorized by now. We go through it every Sunday. And it goes like this. To all who are bruised and burnt. To all who are far off. And all who are near. To all who believe and struggle and unbelief. To all who sin and need a Savior. This church welcomes you on behalf of Jesus Christ. The friend of sinners. Who will not break you. Who will give you peace who will help you believe, who is the Savior. See, Nathan found each one of these phrases all throughout Scripture. He even did a whole sermon series over it. I'm sure you all remember that. And um, the first thing uh, it says is, all who are bruised and burnt, so all who are afflicted and are in trouble, Jesus welcomes you. To all who are far off, to all who feel far off from Jesus and all who feel near to Him, Jesus welcomes you. To all who believe and struggle and unbelieve, Jesus welcomes you. To all who sin, that applies to every one of us, Jesus welcomes you. And listen, Jesus will not break you. He will give you peace. He will always, believe, he will always help you believe who He is. And His biggest example of comfort and peace is the gospel. Him living a perfect life that we could not live. Him being the new Adam, the man who fulfilled the law, the God-man who knew no sin, that became sin, took on all of our sins, the past, the present, the future, sins of the whole world. And He was nailed to the cross with those sins. But that wasn't the final word. But the final word is that he rose from the grave and defeated death, that he crushed the head of the serpent, that we could have life in him through his resurrection, that he would forgive us of our sins. He defeated sin through the death, through the cross, and that he would rise again so we could have life with him. And when we say, Lord, I need your forgiveness, Lord, I need you in a time of trouble, he will comfort you. Throw yourself in the river that never runs dry of His abundant mercy and grace. Throw yourself in His mercy and grace. It's abundant. It will never be gone. When we repent of our sins, when we repent of of who we are and how how we need Him and believe of who He is, that's our ultimate comfort and peace. It's the gospel that we are reconciled back to Him. Throw yourself in the mercy and grace of God. He will put the shame, the shame that you have of your sins. He will put the shame of the trouble that you have. We know that He will comfort us. We know that He will be with us because of the cross, because of His gospel. He will cleanse you from His sins. When you're in a time of trouble, He will be there. And it is proven through His death and resurrection. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, You're good. And we thank You for Your Gospel. We thank You for everything, Lord. That You truly died and rose again for us. That You reconciled Your life. You reconciled Your life. And You, and you came to us. And now we're with You, Lord. Lord, show us who You are more. Help us in a time of darkness. Hearing Father, amen.